This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Today, we're going to talk about a thing called inner vows. The things that happen with every one of us. You know, when I was about six years old, me and my older brother had the bright idea of taking what we thought was a smoke bomb and putting it under a jar. And, you know, you light it and you put all that on there and, you know, the smoke fills up the jar and it's just real great entertainment, especially as a six-year-old. Well, obviously my dad didn't know we were doing that. But to come to find out it wasn't a smoke bomb, it was a cherry bomb. And that cherry bomb blew this finger off right here. And it took seven stitches to to put that little rascal back on. The reason I tell us that is this, because oftentimes when we have scars on our body, those scars are a reminder of pains we've had in our lives. There's every one of us in here, you've ever had stitches, you look at that and you remember, this is what happened. But we have scars on our hearts too. Scars on our soul, that things in life have wounded us and hurt us. Now, the scars on our physical body, they begin to heal naturally. They heal over a process of time, but the scars of my soul, the scars of my heart, they don't always heal over the process of time. Sometimes it takes God's intervention and us turning to Him to allow us to be healed. So we're going to hit that today. We begin in in Psalm 55, and you'll get the heart of David right here. Verse 4, he says, my heart is severely pained within me. Some of you say, that's me today. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. They assault me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. And horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, this is King David. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. That I would fly away and be at rest. Now, oftentimes, that's what we want to do as human beings. That when we have hurts and pains and it seems like life has overwhelmed us, we want to grow wings and we want to fly away and we want to escape and get away from those things. And often people go to the movie to escape. We get a massage to escape. We want to just lay by the pool so we can escape. And that's what King David was saying, man, I just want to escape from life. Keep reading with me, verse 7. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. And when he talks about the wilderness here, it was because no one else is in the wilderness. And the wilderness became a very appealing refuge for David. And he says in verse 8, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. So really what David is talking about here, when life just got overwhelming to him, his flesh said, run. Just run. Get away from it. And that may be how you're at today, but he contemplated here. And his flesh said, run. But look what his heart says in verse 16. As for me... I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. The Lord shall rescue me. 
In this time in his life where it was very difficult, David knew the answer and he said, I'm going to call upon God and God will rescue me. God will heal me. Verse 17. Evening, morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And so King David understood to sustain himself He had to call upon God. He had to hang out with God. And he began to pray to Father God. Oftentimes in life, when we're overwhelmed, the last thing we want to do is pray. But yet something begins to happen when I pray. Verse 18, he said, And he has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, or literally the battle that was in me. And so the inspiration to pray... It brought David great peace in a time of his life where there was great turmoil. Now you got to look at what he did to get that peace. Look at verse 22 of the same chapter. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Give your burden to the Lord. Fling it upon the Lord. Throw it to the Lord. And he shall sustain you. He shall protect you. He shall support you. He will defend you. He will supply the means necessary for your living. And God shall never permit the righteous to be moved. How? I must cast my care upon him. I must cast my burden upon him. See, too often in our lives as human beings... We think we can do it all in our own abilities. And this leads to a thing we call inner vows or inner oaths. And when we talk about these, these usually identify in our hearts by something that's caused hurt or pain in my life. And I make these vows on the inside to protect me from ever getting hurt again. So I make these oaths or these vows... And it's like I'm putting an an imaginary wall or a fence around the perimeter of my life. And most of the time when I make these intervals, they start with this. I will never. I will never. Now, we're going to fill in those blanks here in a minute. Go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5. And in this passage... The Lord will show you the significance of a vow. Now, here in just a minute, I'm going to give you the definition of a vow and an oath. And it'll begin to see certain things in your life that you may be doing right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Walk prudently or guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Now, it's interesting right here that he mentions this word, the sacrifice of fools. So he's telling me there can be something I do that actually is the sacrifice of a fool. Scripture is going to tell us what that is in just a second. Verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth. And do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. Now, he deals with my mouth and my heart there. For God is in heaven and you on earth. 
Therefore, let your words be few. The New Living says it this way. Your ears are open, your mouth is shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God or rash promises. Verse 3. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. So the sacrifice of a fool is a person who talks too much. That's James 1.19. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. And so right here, when I'm a person that just yaks and yaks and yaks and yaks all the time, you're going to cause issues. It says you become that as like a fool. Keep reading there. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For God has no pleasure in fools. Pay or keep what you vowed. The power of a vow is what he's talking about. Better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. So you see right here, a, a vow has serious matters. And a vow is, is voluntary. I do it out of my own heart. But yet when I make those vows to God, there's something that is unbreakable. It's something that God hears what we say and what we do. And so these vows, these oaths, they're binding promises. They're binding to our soul. And so we make these inner vows as people, as human beings. And they usually are insight of pain, negative, or something that's bad has occurred in my life. And with those vows, it's usually destructive and it tries to destroy us, and it causes us to live in an unhealthy way. That's what he's talking about. So we keep reading, verse 6. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Wow, what a statement. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error or a mistake. Why should God be angry at your excuse and to destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity... But fear God. So when we talk about these, vo- these vows or these oaths, they may start out very innocent, typical. But they can have a lasting imprint on my life. And you may say, why is that? Because when you make a vow, you become obligated to fulfill it. Listen to the definition of an oath. An oath means a declaration. It means a promise. It literally means to swear. How many have ever said this out of your mouth? I swear I'll never do that again. Probably every one of us at one time or another. The definition of a vow is a binding promise. Now listen to the last part of it. A binding promise to resolve. So I make this promise or this valve in my heart, and it's to resolve. To resolve what? Well, listen to some of these illustrations, and I believe you can put yourself in there. The first one is, no one will ever hurt me again. That could be because of abuse, physically, verbally, or even sexually. And you put this perimeter around you and you say, no one will ever hurt me again. 
Oftentimes people will say, I'll never fall in love again. And that statement is made because something happened in my heart. I was scarred. A lot of times it's because of a relationship that went bad. I've heard people say, I'll never fall in love again because of divorce, the pain that took place in it. So you can begin to see certain things that we have to fight. I've heard people say this, I'll never go to church again. Why? Because they were wounded or hurt at church. Maybe because of pastor. Now you guys say, not you, pastor. You didn't hurt us, okay? My desire is never to hurt anybody, okay? I'm human. That's not my goal. But listen, that's what happens at times. How about this? I'll never be like my father. Usually said out of hurt. I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be poor like my parents. Why? Often because the scars that happen to people's lives. The things that get embedded in there. I'll never trust anyone again. How about this one? I'll never discipline my children like I was disciplined. So today, just think for a second, you fill in the blanks. And these all start with these inner vows. And these inner vows become inward commitments that tie us to our past, usually in an unhealthy way. Now Jesus had something to say about this. Look at Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5. All of us have been here one time or another. I'll never let this happen. I'll never let that happen. There can be a positive side of that, but there can also be a negative. We'll get in the positive here in just a second. Matthew 5. Jesus speaking, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely. The New American Standard says you shall not have false vows. The New International Version says you shall not break your oaths. Now listen real close to what he says at the very end of verse 33. But you shall perform or you shall keep your oaths or your vows to the Lord. You can't break them. You must perform them. Simply put, I'm going to make a vow that it is going to have significant commitment to it. Now, here's a positive example of that. Anytime people get married, they have these things called vows. And your marriage vow is your spiritual contract with each other and before Father God. That's the significance of a marriage ceremony. I got to do one yesterday. And it was two young ones in our church. I know a lot of Jim Hyden's family here. His nephew, Curtis Hyden, who plays the bass, he married Haley yesterday. And in their ceremony, I didn't lead them through their own vows. They wrote their own vows to each other. And so as I handed the vows to each one of them, I listened very intently for what they were saying 
Because those vows were from their heart. Those vows were something that they needed to perform. And the vows that we make in a marriage covenant are so strong that the Lord said in Mark 10, he said, don't allow anyone to break or separate what God has joined together. So even in a marriage covenant, those vows, they're life-changing. See, the thing in a marriage covenant isn't when the minister says, I pronounce you husband and wife, you you may now kiss your bride. That's not what's significant in it. The significant part always to me is those vows. But there's a negative side of the vows that we can make also. And so the negative negative side is, when I make a vow to myself, it is a commitment to myself. The problem is, when I make those vows to myself, it's usually self-focused and self-centered. And it says, I, I will never let this and I will never let that happen. Keep reading verse 34. But I say to you, do not swear, do not make vows, do not bind yourself by an oath at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So he's saying, I don't care if you're in heaven, I don't care if you're on earth, I don't care if you're in the city of Jerusalem. Don't be making these certain vows that you can't keep. So Jesus right here is informing me and you the power of a vow. Keep reading, verse 36. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. And you know what he's telling me there? You start swearing about things. There's things in your life you can't change. You can't change a hair on your head. I wish we could. But you can't do it. And this is what he's getting over in that oftentimes we don't cast the burden on the Lord. We cast the burden on ourselves, and we start saying, if it's the last thing I do, this is what's going to happen. Keep reading verse 36 or 37. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now listen to the last sentence. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What does that mean? Well, who's the evil one? The devil's the evil one. Here's the question off of what he just said. What got the devil kicked out of heaven? Pride. So anytime I get over and I start saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, it's like we're mimicking the devil. I, 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 I. And in Isaiah, the the devil himself gave the five eyes and every one of them were I, 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 I. So when we get over and we think we can accomplish everything in our own abilities, our own talents, I don't care how tough you are, how much perseverance you think you have, you're borderline in something that God never intended us for, for us to be. So when we look at all this, the vow itself here becomes the issue. The inner vow itself, the very nature of it, listen real close, is almost always tied to judgment. And when I talk about judgment, judgment is aimed or directed 
at another human being that caused pain in your life. That may have scarred your heart. So I make these inner vows and I say, I will never allow that to happen. Normally, it's focused off of judgment. Now, the problem with judgment is it's not good. Look with me into Matthew 7, just one one chapter. So here's what it looks like. I speak this inner vow out of my mouth. And this course has been set. And it's a powerful influence that silently guides me. And it literally becomes the highest commitment in my life. And we say stuff like this. I will or I won't ever allow that to happen. Even with that commitment that is stronger than my commitment to God. This is where it starts becoming an issue. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. So if I was to judge, who am I judging? I'm judging another human being. So he tells me, don't do it. Verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure standard you use, it will be measured back to you. Now the Lord's just clarifying to me right there. He said, listen, boys and girls, you can judge if you want. But understand this, the same measure or the standard that you judge with It's going to be measured back to you. And note here as I read this again. How many times Jesus says the word you. Verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is sowing and reaping 101 right here. You sow judgment even with an inner vow. Get ready. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Now as you're turning to Romans chapter 2. In Romans 1, the apostle Paul, he had a list of sin. And he was telling them all the different sin. And the Christians at the church were saying amen, 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 amen. And then he gets to chapter 2 verse 1. Now look what Paul says. Therefore, you are inexcusable. In other words, you can't make any excuses or don't try to justify. Oh man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So right there, he gets over and he informs me that when I judge another person, if I judge Travis this morning, because of my judging of him, I have brought condemnation upon my own self. So literally here, it's like a boomerang effect. And often these inner vows that we're talking about, they're associated with judgment. I'll never be like him. And it's hurt. It's pain. I'm not denying there's not hurt and pain in there. But i got to have God help me. One more on this same line. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Now as you're turning to Luke chapter 6. In all three passages in Matthew 7. Romans 2 and Luke 6. 
The same Greek word for judge is used. Every one of them. It means to avenge, to condemn, to pass sentence. It implies judging one's nature. Now watch what happens here in Luke 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then he gets over on verse 38, and he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. With the same measure you made, it will be measured back to you. And so oftentimes, we, we say Luke 6.38 in an offering or a tithing view, which it can be. But if you note on there, he said, If you judge the same measure that you use, however you sow it, you're going to reap it. If you condemn the same measure, it's going to come back to you. Now, again, he doesn't deny right here that we can't do this. But understand, so much of this right here is we try to tear another person down to build ourselves up. And this is a universal law. I can't get away from You can't get away from What you sow is what you're going to reap. Too often times, Christians have this thought that I can sow a dandelion and reap a rose. Not going to happen. Now, it's interesting right here with what he says here. If you judge, you're going to be judged. If you condemn, you're going to be condemned. But the last one, he gets over to forgiveness. That if I walk in unforgiveness... Now that opens up a whole nother arena. In Mark eleven twenty five, the Lord Jesus himself said, If you don't forgive others, I cannot forgive you. I can't. Now I don't know about you, but I need a lot of Jesus' forgiveness. I really, 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 really need it. And Jesus clarifies, he said, listen, if you don't forgive others, So as I begin to look at this, I I begin to say, Father God, bring up any person in my life that I'm harboring unforgiveness with right now. And it amazed me what the Lord began to do in my life. He began to bring things up in my life. Man, I got over and I said, Father God, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. Listen real close to this. Oftentimes, that when you're forgiving another person, that really needs to become between you and God. The reason I say that, that if I had unforgiveness toward Raul and I went up to him and said, I forgive you. You know what most people would say? For what? For what? Most people aren't even aware that they've done something to affect you. And so most of the time, there will be times, selective times, that you can go to a person and say, listen, I forgive you. But my forgiveness can't be based off of if they say, I'm sorry. 
So many times that's what people will say. Well, when Billy Bob tells me he's sorry, then I'll forgive him. That may never happen. And again, I'm not saying what they did to them to, or did to you wasn't harmful or hurtful or didn't scar your heart. But when it comes to unforgiveness, the Lord's saying, I put that in your court. What are you going to do with it? One last scripture. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as you're turning there, before I read this, I want to tell you two true stories. As a young lady, and as she began to grow older in life, any opportunity she had, whether it was in private or out in the public, she would say the most sarcastic, critical, and negative things she could about her mother. Over and over. Thought it was cute. Thought it was humorous. Thought it was, it was making everybody else think that she was such a great person. But it was all from the root of judgment. And it was an inner vow that basically was saying... I'll never be like my mother in this part, this part, this part. But you know, ultimately, the very thing that she criticized and the very thing that she said is exactly what she became. That inner vow that says, I'll never be like my mother. A young man. He grew up in a home where his, his father was very domineering. A control freak. And the young man would say throughout his life, when I become a grown man, I'll never control my father or my family like my father controlled me. Never. And he said it in a judgmental way, and it became an inner vow that literally boomeranged back on him. And the very thing that he despised in his father because he walked in judgment. He became. John 20. Verse 22. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. And when he had said these. When he had said this. He breathed on them and said to them. Receive the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus. Jesus said it. Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Gone. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, if I forgive of sins, it's gone, it's nowhere to be found. But if I don't, he said, I retain them. So I'm either going to be a releaser or a retainer. And when I retain them, those very sins that I wouldn't forgive, oftentimes that's exactly what I become. Now the reason I read verse 22 for you, and Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus himself knew there were going to be things and times in your life 
that the only way you're going to ever forgive people for the, the wrongs, the hurts, the things they've done to you is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No doubt in my mind. He knew the significance that if you get over and you think, I'm going to walk this out of my... Not going to happen. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by the Holy Spirit. This was what Jesus said. Now this may locate you a little bit. This really located me. How do you know when you're, you're forgiven people? You've literally walked in it. When you have to be around them. How many of you have ever been around someone that maybe was in your family that you had a really hard time? And you knew that you guys were going to have a family reunion. And when the family reunion was scheduled, you said in your heart, crap I'm going to be around Uncle Buck. Maybe a class reunion. Maybe an old boss. And it's a sure way real quick to find out what's really in you. And I've been in that position before where I knew I was going to be around a person. And guess what I did? I said, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. You got to help me. Help me to walk in love. Help me to keep my mouth shut. Help me to do what Jesus would want me to do. See, every one of us get thrown in those things in life. And at times, i got to have the Holy Spirit to help me. Because everything within me, I don't want to forgive them. I want to pray the Brutus prayer. You know what the Brutus prayer is? Whack them at the knees, God. Get them. But that doesn't work. And so what I found out in life, your suffering never, never leaves you where it found you. You'll either get bitter or you're going to get better. But I got to walk this out. I got to have God start helping me. You know, I'm a junior in high school. And I grew up, you know, I love sports. I love football. Even at my size. That's why I went to college on a track scholarship. I wasn't very big. But I still love football. And there was a senior that started in front of me the first game of the year, and he tears his leg up. And so now I'm, I'm the full-time starter. And before he got hurt, the coach who was our head coach at that time, he had been really, really ugly toward me, I felt. That was in my own eyes. Whether he was or not, that was his business. So you got to understand this. I'm, I'm 17 years old. I don't know Jesus at all. I am the epitome of rebellion. So in my brilliance, I figure out they don't have anybody to replace me. I don't have a backup. They would have to bring someone up off the JV to replace me. So I became very defiant toward that head coach. So much that if he said we're going to do this, I would do just the opposite. If he said something, didn't matter what it was, I'd go against him. And what I began to find out, even in that setting, there was a root of bitterness that rose up in me. 
And we were in a film session one time, and he mocked me incredibly. And I remember that day saying, I'll never let him treat me that way again. And that judgment, that rebellion in my heart as a teenager began to swell. I've forgiven. I've forgiven and I've repented. But I use these illustrations because that was way back in my life. I still have to deal with those things just like you. So you say, Pastor, what do we got to do? I believe this with all my heart is number one. We renounce inward vows that we've made, that we've known. I, I have been committed to them for so long in my life. Then the second thing we do is we need to repent to God for taking charge of our own life. Where we've said, I can do this. I don't need you, God. And then the third thing you got to ask yourself. Do I operate in unforgiveness right now? So many times in our life, I believe God wants to bless us. He wants to help us. But until we clean our hearts out, and the only way I do that is I take inventory of my own life. See, so many times when we talk on stuff like this, people will say this, I wish Susie was here. This would really help her. Well, Susie's not here. You're here. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.